Jesus tells us in the Bible of the parable of a merchant looking for fine pearls, and how this is similar to finding the kingdom of heaven. When you find the kingdom of heaven, your salvation is like a precious pearl. There is nothing more valuable than security for your soul. Just as in the parable when the merchant found just one pearl, he sold all he had to purchase it. This is Precious Pearls Radio with Sister Dana Rankin. Welcome to Precious Pearls Ministries Podcast on Resilient Christian Radio Network, where we share the blessed Bible and the blessed hope. My name is Sister Dana Carter, and I will be your host. Our verse for Precious Pearls Ministry is Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God commendeth his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. First and foremost, I just want to thank you for tuning in today and for listening to this podcast weekly every Thursday. It's a blessing to be here speaking to you and sharing the word of God. If you have any prayer requests or you would like to have any topics that you would like to learn about, you can share them with me through the email Precious Pearls Ministries Radio at rcrnetwork.com. You can also find Precious Pearls Ministries on Facebook and a new website will be coming soon, which I will announce in a little bit on the next podcast. The ministries that we support are Glovebox Ministry and Walking by Faith Ministry. And also, I support Repentance Cry Ministry, which is a ministry of my pastor, Aaron Rummett, who will be a guest in the upcoming weeks speaking on repentance. Today's message will be about understanding God's salvation plan, because God wants to save your soul today. If you are saved and surrendered and serving the Lord, there may be someone that you know that you can share this message with. And I would encourage you to do that. So many times we are too silent as Christians to share the gospel message with people in fear that we would offend them. But I just want to say that I would rather offend someone and let them learn the truth than to say nothing and have them go to hell for all eternity. Hell is not annihilation. It is forever. And I will explain all that in this message. And first, let us pray. My Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for the cross, Lord, for the blood that you shed for us. Thank you for your new mercies every day, for your grace and your liberty. Thank you for our friends, Lord, and for all of our family. And keep everyone near to your heart and hold them tenderly. Thank you for our ears to hear and for our eyes to see. When we are still and we read your word, please reveal your truths to us. When we rise up each morning, help us to give our days to you and let the sun rise in our hearts and let his love shine through and manifest through us. Before we make decisions, help us to remember to pray and help everything we say and do be in a loving way to others. Reach out to others through us, the hurting, the sad, and the lost. And as Jesus gave his life for us, Lord, help us be willing to pay the cost. And all this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, this message today is about understanding God's salvation plan. And we're going to be reading from the book of Romans today. And I have my Bible here, and I would encourage you to get your Bible if you're not listening in the car or something like that. Um, If you are doing that, please download this message and share it with everyone that you know. You can download it onto your computer and send it over in an email or whatever way you want to do it. Um, It would be such a blessing to them to hear the truth about how to be saved. Let's go to Book of Romans first. That's Romans chapter 3, verse 10. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Again, that's Romans chapter 3, verse 10. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That means all, everybody. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. Wherefore, as by one man sin enter into the world, and death by sin, and that one man is Adam, and so death passed upon all men, so we he passed that on to us, for that all have sinned. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. But God commended his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God 
is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans chapter 6 verse 23. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. That is Romans chapter 10, verse 13. Next we'll go to the book of Acts, chapter 3, verse 19. Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Then we're going to go back to Romans chapter 10, verse 13, and that is, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Romans chapter 10, verse 13. Only God knows how many dear souls have been led to the Lord Jesus Christ by these verses of Scripture. These verses, commonly referred to as the Romans Road, are used worldwide by Christian work workers in an effort to present God's salvation plan to the lost in a step-by-step -step fashion. The Romans Road is wonderful for getting straight to the point in dealing with the primary issues of sin and salvation. Millions have come to know Christ after these hearing these verses, including myself, and it is our prayer that millions more will come to know him in the future. But there's a problem. Because of the habitual use of such quick and easy portions of scripture, more and more Christians are developing a very shallow concept of New Testament salvation. Time and time again, I find myself speaking with people who profess to be saved, and yet they aren't sure about their eternal destiny. Many of these people can tell of a specific time in their life when they prayed and asked the Lord to come into their heart and save them. But still today, they live in a state of uncertainty. This should not be happening. Then there are others who have never been saved and really do not understand the need to be saved. Some, someone says, well, they probably just don't care. Yes, that's often the case, but not always. I believe there are many people who would like to have a better understanding of Jesus Christ and the salvation that he offers. And I believe that many such people will receive Christ once they truly understand their need for him. If you fit into any of these categories, this is for you. This message is for you. This is for the sole purpose of helping people understand New Testament salvation. Whether you're saved or not, this message can help you. So why not set aside a little time and listen to this message prayerfully and carefully? You will not be disappointed. There are many things that can be said about God in, in this message, but the one thing that must be said is that God is a righteous and holy God. So often we hear of God's love for us, and we very seldom think of God standing alone without man in the picture. Let's first consider God himself without even thinking of mankind. Let's take a look at the personality of God Almighty. Exodus chapter 15 verse 11 says, Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? The seraphims of Isaiah 6 praise God, crying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. If something is holy, then it is whole or complete. God is holy. He lacks nothing, for he is complete. God simply cannot be improved upon. Someone has said, God without man is God, but man without God is nothing. How true these words are. One who wishes to know God must ignore himself. It was God who created man. God existed first without man in the picture. So in order to really understand how New Testament salvation is, we must first focus totally upon the eternal God of glory. We must know something of God's personality. And we must realize that God never has and never will do anything wrong for any reason. God has always been holy and he always will be. He says in Malachi chapter 3 verse 6, For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. God never has and never will make one single adjustment within his person. His state of sinless perfection is eternal. If the entire universe were to turn against God, including all the hosts of heaven, it would not change God. He would still be the eternal God of glory. 
consider these strong portions of scripture from the book of Isaiah. All nations before him are as nothing, and they are counted to him less than nothing and vanity. To whom will ye liken God, or what likeness will ye compare unto him? Isaiah chapter 40, verses 17 through 18. I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. Isaiah chapter 42, verse 8. Is there a God beside me? Yea, there is no God, I know not any. Isaiah 44, 8. I am the Lord, and there is none else. There is no God beside me. I girded thee, though thou hast not known me. Isaiah 45, 5. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. Isaiah 46, 10. So let's first understand one great truth. With or without us, God is God. He's the unchangeable, holy, and eternal God of glory. Regardless of what happens, this will always be true. Genesis chapter 1 gives to us the account of the creation, including the creation of man. We read in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Man was created in the image of God. That image, as we have already seen, was an image of righteousness. It's an image of absolute holiness. God did not create man in a sinful condition. It would have been foolish to do so. God created a sinless man in his own image. Luke chapter 3 verse 38 tells us that this first man, Adam, was actually the son of God. No other man after Adam is called a son of God. But Adam was called this because he was made in God's image. Being absolutely sinless, Adam was now ready to carry out God's plan. God is a spirit, as mentioned in John chapter 4, verse 24, but he created a physical earth. So he needed a physical being to rule over the earth. Genesis chapter 1, verse 28 tells us that God gave Adam dominion over the earth and over all of its inhabitants. Why, you may ask, couldn't God manage to run things for himself? Sure he could. But he wanted something more. God had a very special reason for creating man. Notice how clearly the reason is given in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 7. Even everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory. I have formed him. Yea, I have made him. Why did God create man? He did it to bring glory to himself. All through the Bible, we find that God wants to be glorified. Psalm 22, 23, Psalm 50, verse 15, Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, John chapter 12, verse 28, Romans chapter 15, verse 6, 1 Corinthians 6, 20, and there's others. I would encourage you to highlight those in your Bible. And the beginning was certainly no exception. God wanted to form a living being out of the ground and have that being live in close fellowship with him. God wanted his human creation to live in righteousness. God wanted to see his children prosper. He didn't want them to fail. He wanted them to prosper. This would bring honor and glory to his name. Just as any respectable father delights in watching his own children live right and succeed in life, God wanted the same for his children. Like any responsible father, God knew what was best, and he had a wonderful plan for his children. So God created man and placed him in a perfect environment. Would man be obedient and fulfill God's will, or would he become disobedient? God had to put man to the test. He had to give man a choice. God could have forced Adam and Eve to always obey him, but that would be against his nature. God wanted man to love him and enjoy serving him, so a choice was given. Rather than populate the entire universe at once with newly created humans, God in his infinite wisdom placed one man and his wife in a garden and gave them a choice. You know the story. Adam and Eve chose to disobey God by eating of the forbidden fruit. And that's in Genesis chapter 3 verses 1 to 6. Satan's ways seemed more pleasant at the moment, so man fell into sin by disobeying God. Worst of all, man lost the image of God. God was still holy, but man was now unholy. Man was now a transgressor against God. Man has failed the test. In his sinful condition, Adam could not carry out God's divine plan. He was no longer qualified, for he was now a sinner. 
At this point, God could have chosen to destroy his creation and start with a new one, or he could redeem the fallen creation. He chose to redeem fallen man. He chose to set forth a master plan that would allow man to become righteous once again. Being the merciful God that he is, God chose to work out a wonderful redemption plan for fallen man. But wait, this will be no easy plan because Adam and his wife aren't the only sinners. Every child born after Genesis chapter 3 has been born in Adam's sinful image. Genesis chapter 5 verse 3. All men are natural sinners upon being born into the world. Wherefore as by sin, wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Romans chapter 5 verse 12. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Psalm 51, 5. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Romans chapter 3, verse 10. Men are long, no longer made in God's image. In fact, the Lord Jesus Christ himself said, Ye are of your father, the devil, in John chapter eight forty four, God is not a sinner, so sinners are not God's children. Sinners are natural-born children of the devil. Paul writes in Ephesians 2, 2, that lost sinners are children of disobedience. Why? Because we naturally receive a sin nature at birth. In addition to this, we must also realize that we cannot rid ourselves of this corrupt sin nature. We're stuck with a fallen image of unrighteousness. Unless God works a miracle in our lives, we're absolutely hopeless, forever doomed to the eternal fires of hell. We cannot earn our salvation by performing righteous works because our righteousness is no good. Isaiah 64, 6 tells us that our righteousness is like filthy rags. Instead of being clean in the eyes of God, men are filthy because of the sin nature in us all. God is holy, but we are unholy. He is godly, but we are ungodly. He is righteous, but we are unrighteous. Our sin nature stands like a brick wall between us and God, separating us from his dear fellowship. Now try comparing a holy God with unholy men. Contrast the two in your mind. You see, there must be a separation. Just as you keep your clean laundry separate from your dirty laundry, God must keep himself separate from ungodly man. God is not a sinner, so he cannot fellowship with sinners. Unless sin is somehow removed from man, there's no hope. Unless man is somehow redeemed from his fallen nature, God has no choice but to sentence him to hell forever. The sin debt must be paid so that man can regain his original righteous image and his fellowship with God. Someone must pay the price. There once was a king who had a very strong reputation for enforcing the law in his kingdom. He never compromised for anyone. If someone broke the law, a penalty was always required. Then one day this king sat upon his throne, hearing case after case, when suddenly a very shocking thing happened. A young man was brought in for judgment. He had been caught red-handed in theft. The whole kingdom stood in silence to hear the king's judgment. You see, this was no ordinary case. The young man was the king's son. Being as brokenhearted as he was, the king knew that he still must give judgment. Justice must be done. One hand would have to be severed. Then suddenly the king surprised everyone by ordering his own hand to be cut off. He chose to pay the penalty himself. This is precisely what God did for you and me. Notice these important words from Isaiah 53, 5, 6. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Just as the king suffered and fulfilled the law for his son, God came to this earth and fulfilled the law for us. Jesus Christ was God manifested in the flesh. 1 Timothy 3.16 And he came to fulfill the law. Matthew 5.17 The law demanded a payment for sin. Either man could spend eternity in hell, paying for his sins, or God can make the payment himself. God, because of his love for lost man, chose to make the necessary payment himself. He gave his only begotten son as a payment for our sins. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. John chapter 3 verse 16. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree. Galatians three thirteen. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. 
all men are born under the law of sin and death. Romans chapter 8 verse 2. We are under a curse, but the Lord Jesus Christ came to our rescue by dying and paying for our sins. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 14 says, For by one offering he has perfected forever them that are sanctified. It took only one offering to pay for our sins. Now that the payment has been made, all men can be perfected through Jesus Christ. Through Christ we can be set free from the law of sin and death. Through Christ and him alone we can escape the curse. Through Christ we can be saved. After Jesus pays for the sins of the world and returns to heaven, a very special gospel, which is good news message, is preached by the apostles and early Christians. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. Acts 16.31 That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9. As lost and doomed sinners, we must take God at his word and believe that Jesus Christ is our only hope for salvation. We must trust that his payment for our sins is sufficient. We must stop trying to do good that we might go to heaven. Our good works cannot save us as the scriptures reveal. Only the good work of the Lord Jesus Christ can save us. We are hopeless without him. As a criminal sits upon death row awaiting the electric chair, we sit upon the death row of eternity awaiting hellfire. While sitting upon the death row of eternity, our only hope is for God to make us righteous, for we cannot establish righteousness for ourselves. Romans chapter 10 verse 3. We read in Romans chapter 4 verse 5 the following. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. God's desire is to make us righteous by giving us his righteousness. This portion of scripture goes on to say, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Romans chapter 4 verses 7 through 8. God has a way of cleansing us from our sins and giving to us his righteousness so that we may have eternal life. Referring to the Lord Jesus Christ, Colossians 1, chapter, chapter 1, verse 14 says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. The blood spoken of here is God's blood, Acts chapter 20, verse 28. The blood of the Lord Jesus was not natural human blood. It was pure blood from the Father above. Remember, Mary was a virgin, so the blood of Jesus Christ came from his heavenly Father. This blood was shed at Calvary to be an atonement for our sins. The atonement can make us at one with God, just as Adam was in the very beginning. Through the blood atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ, we can have our sins washed away, as in Revelation chapter 1, verse 5, thus being placed back into God's righteous image. All throughout the Old Testament, God required a blood sacrifice from his people. This blood was obtained from various animals such as bulls, goats, and lambs. Sacrifices were made daily because people would sin daily. By offering to God a sacrifice, something of value to them, men were showing God that they were aware of their sin nature and desired forgiveness. Upon seeing this, God would then accept their sacrifice and forgive their sins. This is called remission. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 22 says, Without shedding of blood, there is no remission. These many animal sacrifices served as a foreshadow or a type of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that would eventually be shed at Calvary. However, forgiveness of sin isn't enough. A penalty still must be paid. The law must be fulfilled. The record must be cleared. God could cleanse his people temporarily from their sins with animal sacrifices, but only the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ could clear their sin record forever. The Old Testament sacrifices were for forgiveness, but not for making a person clear from sin. Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 through 7. That is why Jesus had to come and clear the record forever. He came to wipe the slate clean for all eternity. When you receive Christ as Lord and Savior, you receive a clean record. You receive his righteousness, and since you are trusting him alone for your salvation, God will not impute sin to you. 
Suppose you receive him as your Savior. What then? Then you become a son of God. John chapter 1 verse 12 says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. You receive Christ by believing on Christ. You can be born again spiritually. John chapter 3 verse 3, By receiving the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. Once you truly turn to Christ alone, asking him to wash away your sins, you are forgiven and your sin record is cleared forever. Your soul has been made righteous through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's precisely why he came and died. Once you have been born again, you will be in God's family for the first time in your life. God's human creation was lost in Genesis chapter 3, but you, a part of that growing creation, can be found and redeemed to God this very moment. There was once a little boy who made for himself a toy sailboat. While playing in the stream one day, the boat drifted away. A few days later, another boy found the boat. The first boy said, hey, that's my boat. I made it myself and I want it back. The second boy would not hand over the boat, but instead he offered to sell it to the boy. So the original owner and maker of the toy boat reached into his pocket and gave all his money to pay for the boat. As he walked away, he held the boat to his chest and said, you're mine, you're mine, you're mine twice. I made you and then I bought you, you're mine. Upon receiving Christ as Lord and Savior, you will become God's property. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19-20 through 20. You will become his child and his responsibility. You will become the property of God, for he bought you with his own blood. Acts chapter 20, verse 26. Nothing can ever change that. If you've never really been born again, please repent of your sins right now and place your total trust in Jesus Christ to save you. Tell him that you're sorry for your sins and that you want to live for him. Tell him that you want to have a new life in Christ. And that's in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Aren't you tired of sin? Do you not want to please God? Repent of your sins right now and ask the Lord to save you. He said that he would save you if you call upon him. Romans 10.13. Why not call upon him right now? If you are not saved, the next part of this message is not for you. You will not understand it, and you will not believe it. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. My prayer is that you will meditate upon the things you've already heard and ask the Lord to show you the truth. May you find peace with God today. Lord Palmerston, Queen Victoria's prime minister, was crossing Westminster Bridge one day when he came upon a little girl who had just dropped a jug of milk. The girl broke into tears as the glass jug shattered into pieces. Palmerston had no money with him at the time, but he was able to stop her crying by promising her that he returned at the same time the next day and pay her for the jug and the milk. The following morning, he was in the midst of a cabinet meeting when he suddenly remembered his promise to the girl. He stood up and rushed out to the bridge and paid the girl the money. You see, to him, a promise was a promise, and he had to keep it. Nothing was more important. With or without us, God will always be God. He will carry out his wonderful plan regardless of our actions. He never had to promise us eternal security, just as Lord Palmerston never had to make the promise to the little girl. But God chose to promise us eternal security. It was a pure act of grace on his part. He chose to comfort and strengthen us by making the promise. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. John chapter 10, verses 27 to 28. Being confident of the very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Philippians 1, 6. Verily, verily, I say unto you, that he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. John 5, 24. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. John six thirty seven. We are told in Romans chapter 8, verses 38 to 39, that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ. And the Lord tells us in Hebrews 13.5, that he will never leave us or forsake us. Eternal life is a present possession for the Christian. If you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, then you have eternal life. 
You will not go to hell, for you have been saved by believing on the record that God gave of his son. And that's in 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 through 13. If you have received Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you have received eternal life, because Jesus Christ is eternal life. John chapter 14, verse 6, Colossians chapter 3, verse 4, and Romans chapter 6, verse 23. He placed his spirit within you to keep you and to preserve you. John chapter 14, verses 16 through 17, and 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22. So you should be rejoicing in Christ, not worrying about losing him. You say, but what if I sin after I've been saved? Won't I lose my salvation? No, because really it isn't yours to lose. You are totally God's property. You didn't earn salvation by any good work of your own, and you can't lose salvation by any bad work of your own. Your salvation is based entirely upon the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Your conduct can affect your fellowship with God, but not your relationship with him. You're his child if you're saved, and that's the way it's going to stay. But what happens when a Christian sins? If God doesn't send us to hell, then how does he deal with us about our sins after we've been saved? This subject becomes rather easy to understand when we fully realize that we are now God's children. We have entered into a father-son relationship with God. He will deal with us as a father deals with a child, not as a judge deals with a criminal. Christians need to understand that their bodies have not been born again. Only our souls have been saved. Our flesh is still corrupt, and it will die one day. Paul said that in the flesh dwells no good thing. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. Since the soul has been made righteous through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, God has found it necessary to separate the soul from the body. This is called spiritual circumcision. Notice these important words from Colossians 2.11. In whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, and putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Instead of being physically circumcised as the Old Testament Jews were, we have been spiritually circumcised by the Holy Spirit. Our flesh has been cut loose from our righteous soul. When you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, your soul was set free. The burden of sin was lifted and the Holy Spirit of God came to live within your soul, not in your flesh. A Christian's flesh is still corrupt and sinful. So we are to live in the Spirit, not fulfilling the lust of the flesh. Romans chapter 8 verses 1 to 9 and Galatians 5.16 In Matthew 26.41 Jesus himself said, The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Since the soul has been made righteous, God sees us as righteous individuals. He does not see our sins because Jesus paid for our sins. Our souls are forever perfect, and that's in Hebrews 10.14. So if I sin, I do so in the flesh, and God will not deal with me in the flesh about it. He will not judge my soul for its sinless. Let's take an example of a Christian who sins against God. For stronger emphasis, let's take an extreme case where the sin committed is a most horrible sin. <clears throat> Such a case is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, where a man is charged with having his father's wife. That's pretty bad. Some would think this man should go to hell for this sin, but that's not what happens to him. Paul tells the Corinthians to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that the spirit might be saved. What happened? God dealt with this man just as a father would deal with a child. God did not disown the man, but he did chasten him in order to get him back in fellowship. To chasten is to punish or discipline. The book of Revelation chapter 3 verse 19 tells us that God rebukes and chastens his children. He does not forsake them, but he does correct and instruct them. Hebrews chapter 12 verses 4 through 8 explains how that all of God's children are chastened of the Lord. In fact, Hebrews chapter 12 verse 8 actually says that you're a bastard if you're not chastened. So there are two kinds of people in God's sight, sons and bastards. He corrects his sons, but he doesn't worry so much about the bastards because they're going to get their punishment in hell. Notice these inspired words from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 31 to 32. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. 
But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. You wouldn't send your children to hell and God doesn't send his there. But he does discipline Christians in order to keep them in tune with his will. No one gets away with sin. No one has a license to sin. If you're a Christian, then you should always be conscious of the fact that you are not your body. You are inside your body. Your soul has already been redeemed, but you are still waiting for the redemption of your body. Romans chapter 8 verse 23. Your body is no good for it is still under the law of sin and death. But remember, your soul has been made perfect by the blood of Christ. The words of this poem by Dora Johnson illustrate this truth very well. You tell me I'm getting old. I tell you not so. The house I live in is worn out. And that, of course, I know. It's been in use a long, long while. It's weathered many a gale. I'm really not surprised you think it's getting somewhat frail. The colors changing on the roof. The windows getting dim. The walls a bit transparent and looking rather trim. The foundations not so steady as once it used to be. My house is getting shaky, but my house isn't me. My few short years can't make me old. I feel I'm in my youth. Eternity lies just ahead, a life of joy and truth. I'm going to live forever there. Life will go on. It's grand. You tell me I'm getting old. You just don't understand. The dweller in my little house is bright and young and gay. Just starting out on a life to last throughout eternal day. You only see the outside, which is all that most folks see. You tell me I'm getting old. You mixed my house with me. Being a Christian, you are like a prisoner chained up in his cell. He is lonely and miserable. Then one day someone comes in and cuts his chains loose, allowing him to begin moving freely in his cell. He's no longer chained to the wall, but he is still in the cell until someone comes and frees him completely. Do you get the picture? You are no longer chained to your sins. You're free from them. Geographically speaking, you are still stuck in your corruptible flesh until the Lord calls you home to heaven, but spiritually speaking, you're in the body of Christ. If you slip and fall, you'll do so in Christ. You see, there's a difference between falling in Christ and falling out of Christ. Just as there is a difference between falling down in an airplane and falling out of an airplane. Spiritually, we are seated in heavenly places in Christ, according to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, and that's where we'll stay forever. God also has a separate judgment for Christians. It's called the judgment seat of Christ in Romans chapter 14, verse 10, and 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. This is not a judgment for determining whether or not we go to heaven, but rather a judgment to determine whether or not we receive any rewards for our Christian service. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Unsaved people have their own judgment in Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 through 15. No one will go to hell from the judgment seat of Christ. A Christian may lose his rewards, but he himself shall be saved. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 11 through 15. All Christians will be judged for their Christian service at the judgment seat of Christ, so we are supposed to be laying up treasure in heaven. That's referenced in Luke chapter 12, verse 33 and 34. And we do this by serving God in this life. We need to get busy and serve him. Stop worrying about salvation if you've been saved and start earning some rewards. There's no way to list everything God, that God expects of you, but we can certainly trust God's word to head you in the right direction. The following are some of the more important duties of every new believer. You need to get baptized, find a Bible-believing church, 
and tell the pastor that you are a new believer in Christ and that you need to be baptized. Baptism doesn't save your soul, but it was commanded by the Lord Jesus Christ, Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, and it was practiced by the early Christians, Acts chapter 8, verse 35 to 39. And baptism is by immersion. Join a Bible-believing church and be a faithful member, Acts chapter 20, verse 7, and Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Start looking for a fundamental church that stands on the Bible, supports missionaries, preaches salvation by grace through faith, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9, and believes in the deity of Christ, the virgin birth, the blood atonement, the bodily resurrection, and the literal second coming of Jesus Christ. You need to start having private devotions with God. You need to read your Bible every day. Confess your sins and pray on a daily basis. The scriptures for those are John chapter 17, verse 17, Psalms 119, 11, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17 through 18, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, and 1 John 1, 9. Make a special time for your devotions and remain faithful to them. One of the devotions that I like are Charles Spurgeon's morning and evening devotions. You can sign up for them online for free, and they'll come in your email. And you can also go on Amazon or eBay and order the paperback book. So you could have devotions in the morning and devotions in the evening. That way, you can, in the morning, you can start off with God, and then at night, you can thank God for all the blessings and the things that have gone through, you have gone through throughout the day, and just um, focus your mind on the Lord before you sleep. That's really, really important. One thing I think that many Christians fall short in is being a Christian witness. That's in Acts chapter 1, verses 8 through 9. Tell others what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for you. And we do not do that. I have not recalled a time when a person has come up to me in recent years that gave me a track or pamphlet about the Lord. My church here in Missouri goes out each Friday night to share the gospel with people. There is so much hostility to the gospel because Satan hath blinded their minds like we spoke about last week. And that is so true because they don't recognize their need for Jesus Christ. Many people think they're good enough. Many people are deceived and full of pride. They don't even realize how deceived or ensnared they are. And that's how slick and devious the devil is. The most dangerous thing I see in people when we go out to share the gospel is they're prideful. Pride is blindness to God, to his way and the reality that we need him in the first place. Pride tells us that we can do things without God's help or intervention. That is dangerous and eternally deadly. And through pride, we become Blinded, setting our minds and hearts to go another way, which is stiff-necked, with a bad attitude, hard hearts, and rebellious, we become against or opposing God. So these are the people that we come across. And when we're when people are blinded like that, we can believe a lie or think we're okay even when we're not. We need God's help to go out and share his word. There are so many lies out there you know, in, in society. And we have to be Christian witnesses because the spiritual realm is real. The spiritual realm is a real unseen existence, alive and active. There's a war going on of Satan and his demonic spirits who are evil against God, his angels, and praying saints. And the war is, is for the possession of people's souls. There are many, many lies out there, and I can give you a few here. One is there's no God. 
many people are atheists. They don't believe in God. Even the devils believe that there's God and they tremble. There's no heaven or hell. I've heard that said many times. I've heard people say the Bible is just a book written by men. I've heard the lie that man evolved from some kind of soup. No. Um, I believe some people say I believe some of the Bible is true and I don't take it literally. So I'm okay. No, that's why I'm saying we need to be Christian witnesses and we need to tell people how Christ can save them just as he saved you. People also say, I'm good and I will be good and help others. This is called works. People think that I can get to heaven on my own good behavior. They believe that there's a God, but this cross or Jesus thing is not for me. I have heard people say, well, that's what works for you. Then people have said, I believe Jesus was just a prophet sent by God. See, we need to get in our Bibles every single day and give every man a reason of what we believe. Time is extremely short. And it's amazing how silent Christians are. I get so many false religions come up to me to give me their information. But I cannot tell you the last time a person came up to me and handed me the truth of God's word at any public place that I have been. Not anybody. Where we go and witness to in different places, we have had attacks on us from people who are blinded by Satan. We have had people trying to threaten our safety. But what we need to do is we need to buckle down and stand strong because one person outside that heard that message could possibly be saved from an eternal hell. So there are many ministries online that have good pamphlets and tracts to share with people. Some are free. And some are at a minimal cost. And what price is it for a person's soul? You can get tracks from Chick Tracks, Chick Track Publications. You can get them from Fellowship Track League. Mark Cahill Ministries has tracks that are excellent. There are many different places where you can get them from, and you can look them up online. Also, you can email me, and I can give you some links to some excellent places where you can get tracks and you can leave them everywhere. You can put them in except mailboxes. You're not allowed to do that, but you can give them to the, if you ride in public transportation on a bus, you can leave them there. You can give them to the, if you ride a taxi, you can give it to the taxi cab driver. You can give them to the grocery store clerk because every single person that you meet, everybody, your mailman, the UPS man, FedEx, the delivery person that comes to your home in other countries or the person that's walking down the street that you see is going to be somewhere for all of eternity. And we are here responsible for telling them the truth that you are not good in your own self. You know, people think that um, I'm not important to God, too. It's just excuses after excuses because Satan has blinded their minds. We need to get those gospel tracts and give them to family members and friends. And we need to work toward winning lost souls to the Lord. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 30. We also must live holy lives for God. That's in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. You are supposed you are a Christian now and you are supposed to be Christ-like. You belong to God, not yourself. First Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 to 20. So yield yourself to him and serve him by putting him first in everything. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. And Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. And you need to expose yourself to as much sound Bible teaching and preaching as possible. Pay close attention to your pastor and teachers, and at church services, sit close to the front, take really good notes, and mark your Bible. Saturate your home with good Christian literature and tapes, and I have resources on how to get those to you.
at very little cost, and sometimes they can be sent to you for free. You would have to email me at the Precious Pearls Ministries at RCR uh, website, email, and then that way I can get you get them over to you. The more you know about God's word, the more useful you will be in his service, and nothing is more important in your Christian life than God's service. I'm praying that this message was a blessing to you this week on understanding God's salvation plan because God indeed wants to save souls. I can refer you to some great track ministries if you'll contact me and then that way you can share the word with those that need to hear all around you. Thank you again for tuning in this week and next week We'll be back again, Lord willing, on Thursday. Please share with your friends and your family who need to hear this message. Replay it and get your Bible out and mark the scriptures that I mentioned. And just pray every time you read your Bible for the Lord to open your eyes to behold wondrous things out of his law. Because his Bible is his love letter to you, telling you how to be saved and how to live with him forever. Now let us pray. Heavenly Father, in Christ Jesus' holy name, I pray that you will bless us and you will keep us. I pray that you will make your face shine upon us and be gracious to us. I pray that you will lift up your countenance upon us and fill us with your peace. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the blessings that you have already bestowed upon us. And I ask you, Lord, to cleanse our mind from all thoughts and preconceived ideas that do not conform to your perfect will and destiny for our lives. I ask you, Lord, to prevent our minds from deceiving us in any way by covering us with your precious blood, that we may believe and think in your will for our lives. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray this blessing with thanksgiving, and I thank you, Lord, for giving us the blessing that is talked about in your word in Numbers chapter 6, verses 23 to 26. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please tune in again next week to Precious Pearls Ministries Radio on the Resilient Christian Radio Network, where we share the blessed Bible and the blessed hope. Have a blessed week and we'll talk again soon. When you discover the kingdom, it is worth everything you have to give up because you gain eternity with the Lord, the creator of your soul. And without him, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. How precious is a pearl. How precious a soul is to God. Thank you for listening to Precious Pearls Radio with Sister Dana Rankin. This broadcast is copyrighted by Precious Pearls Ministries and the Resilient Christian Radio Network.